if you're, if you're here this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, finding joy in Christ. One of my concerns, and I have a lot, but one of my concerns is I, I find so many Christians who don't have the joy. Now, God never told us to be happy. You know, Satan can steal our happiness, but he cannot steal our joy. But so many Christians don't have any joy. And, you know, all of us have problems. All of us have difficulties. And whether we, and I'm going to share this with you today, but whether we have good times in our lives or bad times, we should always be joyful. And so today I want to uh, share with you how you can find that joy of Christ. So I'm going to be speaking out of uh, the text of uh, John 15, 11, just two verses this morning, and John 10, 10. And these are very familiar uh, passages. Uh, John uh, 15, 11 simply says, These things... I have spoken to you that my joy, whose joy? Christ's joy. My joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. But then on another occasion, he says, the thief comes except to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He wants us to live a, a life that's so full. That it, that it just overflowing. But you know, I, I see so many Christians that they're not leading that kind of life. And, and it concerns me because why would people want to join us? And I'm going to talk about this in my conclusion. But why would people want to join us if we're just like they are? If we're miserable and we're unhappy and you know, our, our faces are, you know, have the weight of the world? No, we ought to be such a joyful pe people that people want what we have. They don't want what the world has. But unfortunately, we're not living the abundant life. It's not because it's not available to us. It's because we're not willing to just allow God to do in our lives what he wants us to, wants to do. You know, gee, I, I want you to notice this. And, and a lot of people don't, don't realize this. In both those passages I, I read, uh, it talked about joy. It talked about Jesus came that, that you might have joy. But I want you to know that, speak, that Jesus spoke of his joy. And you know, he didn't speak about his joy. You know, he was joyful. He, he, he was content. He was at peace. And I'm here to tell you that none of us, none of us have ever gone through what Jesus went through. But here's the thing that strikes me. The one time, one of the few times he ever spoke about his joy was on his way to Gethsemane. You know, he, he spoke about his joy being full. And, and I thought about that. That's a strange time to speak about joy because just in, a, just in an hour or so or less, he's going to be struggling in Gethsemane. He, he's going to be dealing with God. He is going to be in such a struggle that he starts bleeding from his brow. He is stressed to the point that none of us have ever been stressed. And yet on the way to Gethsemane, he says, my joy. Now, he, do you think he didn't know he was going to die on the cross? You know, six months before that, he told his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. And they said, oh, no, you're not going there. We're not going to let you do that. He told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Satan was using here, Peter to keep Jesus from doing for the reason he's come. So he came to die. 
He came to suffer. He came to share his precious blood that we might have life and we might have it to the full. And so he went to the cross willingly. Yes, he struggled. He didn't want to take on the sin. He wasn't afraid of death. You know, David tells us in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. The death for a Christian is no more than the curtain that we step through to glory. He wasn't afraid of death. What he was fearful of was he had a holy nature. He had never sinned. God cannot abide sin. And he knew when he went to the cross, he was going to take on your sin and my sin onto his holy nature. And he struggled. That'd be like somebody pouring hot acid on us. And three times he, he prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But he always came back, not my will, but your will. It's not what I want, it's what you want. Folks, if you're going to have joy, you've got to live a life. Lord, it's not what I want. It's what you want. It's what you want. And so he, he struggled. But he, he talked about his joy because he knew he's gonna, he was going to suffer, but he knew he was going back to heaven. But he, you know why I think he had joy? I thought about this all week. I think the reason he had such joy is he knew that because of his sacrifice, you all could be here this morning. He knew that that which was lost by Adam was going to be re-found and that we once again was going to have the Holy Spirit. Once, more, once again, we we're going to have the life. Once again, we were going to be living souls. And he found great joy in that. I've, I've got a granddaughter, and her, and her love gift, her love language is gift-giving. She finds great joy in giving gifts. She knits things for her grandmother. She, she makes things for me. When she was a little bitty girl, uh, we gave her some money, and we went to the mall, and she took her money and didn't spend it on candy or something for herself. She, she spent it on a little keychain for me. I'll never forget this. And she found such joy in giving me that keychain chain that says, the best grandpa. Woo! <laughs> Folks, if you can't have joy over that, there's something wrong with you. So he, he's going to Gethsemane, and he talks about his joy. And so I want to submit to you this morning, there's no greater guide that we can follow than Jesus Christ. And he wants us to have that joy. But on another occasion, I read that uh, he told his disciples that the thief, a reference to Satan, came to steal. He wants to steal your life. He came to kill. He wants to kill your life. He came to destroy. He wants to destroy your life. But Jesus came that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Now, folks, I don't know how many of you have ever read Job. But Job has a, right there at the beginning, has a tremendous truth that we forget. Satan came before God. And God says, where have you been? Now, he knew where Satan been. He says, well, I've been going to and fro to see who I can destroy, basically. In fact, Peter talks about that the devil's always going to and fro to see who he can destroy. And, and God, in that case, said, have you considered my... Have you considered my servant Job? And then Satan makes an accusation against God. He says, well, yeah, but I can't touch him because you've got a hedge around him. And he only serves you because you bless him. 
And so God took up the mantle and the child. He says, okay, you can touch him, but you can't take his life. And if you read the book of Job, you see all the things. A lot of people call it Job, but it's Job. You see all the trials and tribulation. I mean, at one time he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He's got sores and boils on his body. And his wife comes to him. Lady, you know I love you, so don't take offense. She says, just curse God and die. When I read that, I thought, boy, who'd like to have a wife like that? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That just popped in my mind. I got to quit saying what pops in my mind. But, but here's the thing. There's this hedge. God has a hedge around us. Now, let me, as we get in this message, let me give you a spiritual truth, and I believe this. Satan can't touch us. In 1 John, it says, greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. The Bible says, turn to God and resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Now, he won't flee from you if you're just out there saying, get away from me, Satan. You got to turn to God. That means you got to be in the presence of God, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But this I believe with all my heart. If I get angry, I put a hole in my hedge. If I'm living a lifestyle that I shouldn't be living, I put a hole in my hedge. If I'm not praying like I ought to, I put a hole in my hedge. If, if I'm not attending worship like I ought to, I put a hole in my hedge. If I'm, not, if I'm only seeing the negative and never see the positive, I put a hole in my hedge. And when I put a hole in my hedge, Satan and his demons just beam in. Because there's a hole in my hedge. And then they can attack me. If you don't get anything else out of this message, you want to get that. Keep your hedge full. And you know how I came to this, this analogy? Years ago, first time I ever had any problem, I had appendicitis. They took my appendix out. I had to go home. I had a terrible time. My, they burst in, during the operation, so I spent an extra two weeks in the hospital. But I owned a home, and that's, that's one of the few times I ever did yard work. Even when I was a kid, I didn't do yard work. I had a yard business, me and my brother. I'd go to the door and say, Mrs. Brown, can we cut your grass? She said, how much? I said, $3. It's always $3. I don't care what size you are. It was $3. I don't care what we had to do. It was $3. I'll tell you why. When I collected the money, because my brother, he did all the work. I'd give him a dollar, and I put two in my pocket. He went to Dad and said, Dad, Herb's not being fair with me. What's he doing? I'm doing all the work. He collects the money, gives me one dollar, and keeps two. Dad's taking his belt off. I said, Dad, wait a minute. Don't you own your own company? I said, yeah. Do you pay your employees what you make? Well, no. Well, Bob don't understand. He's my employee. I'm management. He's labor. Today, he's management, very well off, and he's got the muscles. <laughs> this is what I got. <laughs> but, folks, I'm trying to share. But the one time I did yard work, I had this, my first, second home, I had this beautiful hedge. I took great pride in that hedge. I'd cut that hedge. I'd look down, I'd cut, take scissors, and, I'd, you know, and it was full. You couldn't see the bottom half of the house. And while I was recuperating, my mama came with her husband, and he wanted to help me. So he cut my hedge. First time I went outside in my walk, I looked at my hedge, and there was holes all in. You could say, and you could see all the brick behind the hedge. I just cried. But it came to me, that's what my hedge looks like when I'm not being what I ought to be in Christ. I'm giving Satan an opportunity to attack me. And the more I put hole, and the more holes I put in my hedge, the more he's going to attack me. So, folks, let's, let's get our hedges full. So 
if you're going to have the joy of Christ, here's the first thing you need to do. You need to walk in the presence of the Father. You know, Jesus always talked to the Father. You, you know, he says, me and the Father are one. I hear what my Father is saying to me. Folks, you need to hear what the Father is saying to you. On the day of Pentecost, one of the uh, references to the Old Testament that Peter used in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, it was from Psalm 1611, and this is what he said. You will show me the path of life. The Bible says, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet to show us the way. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Folks, we got to stay in the presence of God. In your presence, fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So it takes the presence of God to produce real joy. But we have that presence. I was teaching a few minutes ago. We have the Holy Spirit. The moment that we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says over, and I mentioned this morning, over in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if you have not the Spirit, you have not Christ. But we have Christ. We have his Spirit. He's there to lead us and guide us, to give us the joy of the Lord, to... To, to open up the scriptures and illuminate our mind that we understand the deep things of scripture. The question is never, do you have the spirit? The question is, does the spirit have you? And unfortunately, most Christians, and I'm not being negative, I'm just being honest, most Christians walk more in the flesh than they walk in the spirit. I never forget when I was going through a very terrible time as a layman. And I came to an altar during prayer time just like this. And I got down on my knees. That's back when I could get on my knees. Now I can't get on my knees. And if I get down, I can't get up. But, but here's the thing. All of a sudden, I had my big old pastor, six foot four, hands like this, come down, and he put his arm around me. And I thought he was going to say, Brother Herb, because I was weeping. I was having a difficult time. And I thought he was going to say, what's wrong? But he didn't, ask, he didn't ask me that. He said, Herb, have you ever prayed to be filled with the Spirit? And I said, no, sir. I didn't know what he was talking about. And he shared with me. And later on, he taught the whole church that every day, every day, we need to be prayed for a fresh filling of the Spirit. Because we leak. We have something happen. We get upset. We have something happen that worries us. Folks, do you all know that worry is a sin? And when you worry, you're saying, Lord, you're not big enough to take care of my problem. And you don't give him the problem. You just sit there and, and fret and worry. And, in that, you know, and you're not accomplishing a thing. Not a thing. So the God tells us that we need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, if every day we pray and we ask God to give us his presence... And we walk in his presence, and we walk in the fullness of Christ, you'd be surprised how your life will change. You know, we, we, miss, we miss so many blessings because we walk and do our will rather than God's will. We're so faithful in so many, and we're so unfaithful in so many things. But if we just put the elementary things of, of Christianity in our lives, it's amazing how our lives would improve. So, 
If you want to have real joy, you've got to walk in the presence of God. Not occasionally, but perpetually. That means all the time. That means every day. Ask God to fill your heart and your mind and your soul and your whole being with the Spirit. Ask God to lead you and guide you and direct you. Before any decision, check in with the Father to see if it is His will. Because we get involved in a lot of things that doesn't help our lives, it hurts our lives. So, so not only must we walk in His presence, but we also need to work for permanent rewards. You know, a lot of Christians, I've talked to them, they said, oh, I don't think that's a very godly thing to work for rewards. Well, you know, here's what the Lord said. He gave an example one time in, in Matthew 25, 21. He says, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, you all know the story. This is when the master went away and he gives one, uh, three talents, one, two talents, or five talents, one, three talents, one, one talent. And the one talent buried it because he said, I know how you were. You're just a mean master. And he didn't do nothing. And he said, at least you could have put it and loaned it out. So I got some interest. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. How many Christians are living in a, in a, in a position of life where they, they're not doing anything with the salvation that they received? Oh, they're Christians, but it's, they're not making a difference around them, and it's not even making a real difference to them. But then the three talent, he did a little bit, but then the guy with the five talent, he went, and, man, he just really used those talents. So when the master came back, he had a small fortune. And so this is what he said. His Lord said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. See, Jesus believed in rewards motivation. Folks, reward motivations work. We have a little puppy dog. How many of you all got dogs? Now, you notice I didn't talk about cats. Dogs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It don't work on cats. I don't know. Cats are independent. They're like a lot of independent Christians. But over the years, even to this day, I say, sit. That dog sits. And a lot of times, I just want him to sit to kind of behave. But in, in his early life, in her early life, when I say sit and she sit, I give her a treat. Folks, that's a reward for sitting. When my wife tells me you sit, I do the same thing. She gives me, you know, so... You'll catch that. But here's, here's the thing. And then, I, then I taught her to stay. And I can say sit and stay, and I can walk all over the place. And then I say, okay, and she'll run across. And it's always a little question, and I give her a treat. Now, nowadays, she's almost 10 years old. She don't need a treat. I still give her one occasionally. But if I tell her to sit, she sits. If I tell her to stay, she stays. Folks, that's reward motivation. And Jesus believed in that. And he, and he told us that we will receive rewards for faithfulness. And those rewards are called crowns. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the five crowns we can receive. And I'm going to give you the references because it will take too long for me to read all the references. But the first crown that I'm going to mention this morning is the incorruptible crown. And that's found in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25. And this crown is given to the believers who faithfully run the race, who don't go to the left, don't keep, go to the right, they keep their eyes on the gold, and they crucify every selfish desire in the flesh and point individuals to Jesus. In other words, they deny themselves for the cause of Christ, and they're going to receive the incorruptible crown. And then the second crown 
is uh, the crown of rejoicing. Now, this is, I, I, love it. I like all these crowns, but this is one of my favorites. The crown of rejoicing. It's called the soul winner's crown. And only those who are soul winners are going to receive this crown. And the reference is in 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, 1920. That's 1 Thessalonians 2, 1920. And then there's a reference in Daniel 12, 13 that really says, to paraphrase it, that the soul winner is going to shine like all the stars in heaven forever. They're going to be, they're going to be, bright, they're going to be bright stars. Now, these are, these are, this crown is given to those who are faithful, witness to the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and who lead souls to Christ. Only the soul winner, only the soul winner is going to receive this crown. Now, here's the unfortunate thing. According to Billy Graham, 98% of those who profess to be Jesus Christ never lead anybody to Christ. Oh, well, they have spiritual conversations, but they never leave anybody, lead anybody to Christ. Only 2% of the Christian community lead somebody to Christ. It's amazing. Uh, I, I did an uh, evangelism training conference in a uh, Georgia town, and they put the deacon, chairman deacons with me. We went on a visit, and we led two people to Christ. Now, this guy was 65 years old. This is his third time being chairman of deacons of that church. And I'm not being mean. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, and this is not unusual. And on the way back to church, he's bawling. He is just bawling. And I asked him what the problem was. And he said, Herb, it's a, he said, I've been a Christian for ever since I was a kid. And this is the first. He actually led one of them to the Lord. He says, this is the first time I ever led anybody to Christ. And, and my heart's just broken. Now, here's a man who been a deacon for years, been chairman of deacon, and in his Christian life since a kid, had never led anybody to Christ. Folks, unfortunately, that's not unusual. So this is a crown for the soul winner. And then we have the crown of life, and that's found in James 1.12 and Revelations 2, 8, 9, 8 through 11. For those believers who endure trials, tribulations, and severe suffering even unto death. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that we, you know, we live still, you know, it's moving rapidly in the opposite direction, but we still live in a country pretty much of easy Christianity. But I'm here to tell you, in the, many of the third world countries, men and women are dying, even as I speak, for no other reason than their faith. I don't know how many of you ever heard of Amsterdam 86. Billy Graham brought 10,000 evangelists into Amsterdam. 700 of them we couldn't bring into the city because they'd never seen a toilet. It would have been, it would have just, it'd been a destructive form. They came out of the bush. He brought them to Amsterdam, and for two weeks we trained them and gave them equipment and gave them things and sent them back into the bush and back into their countries. And many of them we had to sl slip out of the country, and we slipped them back in. And you want to know Why? In the third world countries, there is an explosion of Christianity. It's because of these evangelists that were trained in 1986. I had the privilege of being there. I had, I had the privilege of being part of, of, of those that did the training. But here's what grabbed my heart. I sat down more than once for lunch and dinner and saw individuals who would tell stories of imprisonment, of persecution, who had parts missing on their body where they were tortured. And, I, and it, it changed my life. And I've never forgotten it. 
But those folks are going to receive the crown of life. I pray to God none of us have to suffer. But if the, our country keeps going like it's going, and this is not hate speech, I'm just telling the truth, you better get prepared. The fourth crown is the crown of righteousness. The reference is 2 Timothy 4.8. Most of you probably heard of this crown because it's used, this passage is used a lot in funerals. And it's to those who love the appearing of Christ, who anxiously wait and look forward to the day when he, he will return for his saints. These are folks that they can't wait. They really can't wait for Christ to come. They're really looking forward to Christ's return. So many of God's people are not because we're, we're comfortable in this world. And then the final crown that I want to talk about is the crown of glory. The reference to that is in 1 Peter 5, 1, 4. And this is the pastor's crown. This is the crown that's given to pastors who faithfully guard their churches that God has given them, who faithfully proclaim the gospel, who faithfully minister to God's people. And you say, Brother Herb, why, why are you telling us about that crown? That's a crown for ministers and for pastors. I'm not a pastor. But what we miss is in Matthew 10, 41, the Bible says, he who supports basically a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Ladies and gentlemen, you got a new pastor coming. When that pastor comes, you, and I appreciate the support. You've supported me, so a lot of you are going to get that crown just because you you know, you support me. Many of you have supported Dr. Mercer on the, on the campus, but there's many who have not. Support your pastor. Help him to have a ministry of joy. Over in uh, the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders that their ministry may be a ministry of joy. Otherwise, it's not profitable to you. They guard your souls. Those individuals who are sitting in the pew who support their pastor no matter what. Now, I'm not talking about pastors who fall. I'm not talking about... A, Pastors who preach false doctrine. But I'm talking about the good and faithful servant that comes to guide God's people. You support them. And you too will receive that crown. So in your prayer time, pray that you will be faithful. Pray that you will not lose your reward. Folks, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your crown. And here's the beautiful thing. These crowns are not for us. Christ is going to give us the crowns that we deserve, and then we're going to lay those crowns at Jesus' feet. Woo! Have you ever wondered why it says in Revelation that he's going to wipe away the tears? You know, that really bothered me. And one day it dawned on me. I think I, This is Herb's personal opinion. I'm not saying it's scriptural. I'm just saying it's my opinion. Why would you be crying in heaven? I think the reason is you're going to see what the price that Jesus paid for you, and you're not going to have any crown to lay at his feet. I think it's going to tear you up. So work and be faithful to the cause of Christ. And then the third thing I want to share with you is the witness of the good news of Jesus Christ. In all three parables of Luke, chapter 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, there was great joy when those items were found. You know, I thought about this this morning as I was 
studying briefly, and I had a little prayer time while my wife was getting ready. And God brought back to my mind, when I was a little fella, I wandered off. We lived in Omaha, Nebraska. And I was just having, I was going down the alleys. I was looking at things, the birds, the different, you know, I'm just, I mean, I'm having a good, good old time. And I must have got several blocks from the house. I mean, I'm just a little fella. I don't think I was even in school yet. I just wandered off. And then I got hungry, so I decided I'd go back home. And I've always been in, Dorothy will tell you, I spot things and I can remember things. And so I remembered this trash can. <laughs> I remember that brick that didn't, wasn't the color of the other bricks. And I come drifting. I must have been gone a couple hours. I come drifting home, and I come around the corner, and here's police cars. They were out looking for me. That's when you didn't have to wait a long time, child, you know. And I walked up. Mama grabbed She's crying, and I couldn't understand what's going on. Oh, we found him. He was lost. I wasn't lost. I knew where I was. Problem was, they didn't know where I was. But I thought about that this morning. There's great joy when something that you've lost is found. The Bible says in Luke, and I just said it, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's great joy in heaven every time a sinner comes to Christ. And this is what I found. I found that by becoming a soul winner, you retain your joy in the Lord. I went to Pastor Jack Evans. I wasn't even a Christian a year. And, I, and I, I, I'm a people person. And I, I, I look at people. And I, you know, my wife says, you're going to get beat up one of these days the way you stare at people. People are interesting. <laughs> and I'd walk into church. And, you know, there have been Christians there for years. And I interviewed them that they'd been saved so long. But they all looked like they sucked on persimmons. There was no joy. And I went to my pastor. I said, Pastor, I mean, I was excited because I had just come out of alcoholism. Uh, my, my marriage has just been restored. I was excited. I was happy. I didn't go to church out of habit. I went out of church for the sheer joy of being in church. My wife went to and says, Honey, we're at church. Well, you, you go on Monday night for visitation. You go to the brotherhood meetings on Saturday. You go to Wednesday. You go to Sunday morning. You go to Sunday night. Can't we just go like the first, first year Christians, I'm mean, the first century Christian? I said, absolutely. They went every day. <laughs> she says, I wish you had never read that Bible. But anyway, here's, here's the thing. She's a, she's a good sport. You all need to pat her on the back and pray for her. But anyway, here's the thing. Folks, it's a joy to be around people. And I didn't want to be like the people that I was observing. And so I asked my pastor, how can I keep my joy? And he said this, become a soul winner. And that's when I, I started going with Coy Steele, and he taught me. And I found it to be true. I never forget that one of the first visits we went on. We knocked on the door. We went in. I didn't know how to do anything. I mean, I didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. I didn't know who wrote the book of Acts. People were asking me that when I started teaching those young people. I knew nothing. I never even read a Bible. Oh, I read my catechism. I had my prayer book. I had everything. You know, when I wanted to pray for something, I had a prayer that I could say. But I never, I never had that communion. It's like reciting a poem. And I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you what it, like, what it was. And 
I sat there, and Corey just, he stumbled a little bit, and he shared the gospel, what I had heard a year before that. And his mom and his dad and these two teenage children both prayed to receive Christ. Folks, I was at a birthing. That's exciting. I got myself in trouble when my wife was expecting because we went to the doctor for her last visit. I never will forget this. I, I asked the doctor if I could be in the delivery room. Now, folks, back when I was a young man, you didn't go in the delivery room. Delivery room. And my, doc, my doctor turned red, and he spread. He says, no. He says, you can't do that. But he says, I'll put a chair right outside, and as soon as the baby's born. And we didn't, we didn't, have, we didn't have any way of knowing whether the baby's going to be a boy or a girl. And so he said, I'll bring the baby out and let you see the baby. I, Is that the best you can do, doctor? That's the best you can do. I got back in the car. My wife and says, what are you, some kind of pervert? <laughs> you want to be in there? 23 years later, I'm in the birthing room when my daughter's having my granddaughter. And she said, oh, this hurts. And I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> I just thought I wanted to see a birthing. And to this day, I've never seen birthing, and that's fine with me. But, folks, I've seen a lot of birthings when people have come to receive Jesus Christ. And the joy and the sense of the presence of God, there's nothing like it. And it's kept, and all the soul windows, it's kept, kept us fresh and excited about what God's doing. Folks, when you see birthing, you can't get over it. So if you want to have the joy of the Lord, you get involved in the birthing process. You get involved in seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And then finally, wait with endurance. Not only must you walk in the present, not only must you witness to Jesus Christ, not only must you work for permanent rewards, you need to wait for endurance. The Bible teaches us to keep looking for Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. If Christ, now hear this, if Christ could endure the cross, Surely we can endure the trials of this world. Let's find real joy knowing Jesus is coming back to get us and take us to the home he's prepared for us. Ladies and gentlemen, as I close, I want you to remember this. There's a song by Johnny Mercer entitled, and I'm not going to sing it, but I want you to hear this. I've been singing it for two weeks. My wife says, please don't sing it. Accentuate the positive. That's the title of it. And here's the chorus. You got to accentuate the, the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative, and don't miss with Mr. In-Between. So of all the peoples of the earth, the children of God should be the most joyful because we serve a risen Savior so as I close this morning, I want to beg you, I want to encourage you, I want to plead with you, be joyful in all circumstances, whether good or bad. Do you not realize when something bad happens to you, that's an opportunity for God to show you his power and his greatness? When, when we have bad things happen to us, when things are not going to go, we ought to say, praise Jesus. Here's another opportunity for him to show his love and his power. Folks, 
you never grow in the good times. You grow in adversity. And if you don't grow during that adversity, you keep having adversity. If you don't, have, if you don't learn the lesson, you're going to get another lesson. You wonder why you have more problems, more problems, because you're not learning the lesson. <clears throat> Excuse me. That female shot gets me. You are not learning the lesson. So we ought to be the most joyful people in the earth. We ought to be so joyful that people come to us and say, why are you so joyful? And you tell them about Jesus. We ought to be so joyful that they want to become part of us. That's what happened in the first century. Final thought. I want you to think about this. Who in the world want to attach themselves to a grump? We have Jesus. Let us be faithful. But folks, you can't have real joy unless you have Christ. And if you're resting on an infant baptism like I did, if you're resting that you believe in God, the devil does that. If you're resting that you belong to a denomination, my wife did that, but you haven't received Christ, that's the reason you're not joyful. The Bible says, judge yourself, lest you be judged. The Bible says, check to make sure you're in the household of faith. I'm constantly going back. And remembering that time, November 13th, 1966, at Briar Lake Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia, when I walked down an aisle and I talked to the pastor. And he handed me off to a deacon. And the deacon kind of re-emphasized what he preached that morning. And I remember bowing my head and receiving Christ. And it changed my life. So if you're here this morning, I'm going to pray in a few minutes. Just a little prayer. It's a little commitment to receive Christ. If you can't remember ever praying that prayer, then you need to come forward this morning. If you don't know for sure that if you died at this very moment, if you're 1% doubtful, you need to come forward. If there's any other thing that you want us to pray for, we're going to have some deacons up here. This is a time to come and be prayed for. This is time to kneel down or stand and pray for things that you just want to deal with God. This is the time to do that. And we want everybody to fill out one of these cards. We just don't want our visitors, our guests. We want everybody to fill out the card. If there's a prayer request that you have, put it on the back so we can pray for it. If there's something you want to respond to about the word, a question you have that, hey, this was not clear, Brother Herb, talk too fast. Write it down. If there's something that God touched your heart with, write it down. If there's any of these things like, you know, you want to you receive Christ, check that. If you'd like more information about the church, check that. If you want more information about Christ, check that. If you want to join the church, check that. We're going to have another new members class here pretty soon. And that's how you join the church. And if you'd like to have a minister call and come and visit you, check that. But right now, Pray with me, and then stand, and if you want to come, as Patrick and them come and play a, a song, if you want to come forward, come forward. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is your son. He died for me on the cross, and he has the power to forgive me of my sin. So, Jesus, right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to you. And with your help and your strength, I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.
stand, sing with us. If there's anything you want to be prayed for, you want to pray, I invite you to come to the altar right now.